0: Heroes often represent a moral high ground. They inspire us to do better and to be better. They make decisions between life and death that a regular person might not, battling the villain head-on for the greater good. I'm Remwickcraft, and this is Fiction Briefly. Written by Sophocles in the 5th century BCE, The Greek play Antigone explores this hero's dilemma of survival between following earthly law and that of the gods. Earthly law satisfies the temporary state which is life, but the gods' law will follow her into eternity. Seems like an easy choice, but it challenges her faith in the conditions of the afterlife and the lure of immediate gratification. The play also explores the question of what we really know about right and wrong. What is sin, or to use Sophocles' wording spoken by Antigone in the play, which of us can say what the gods hold wicked? It's not that their religion doesn't have specific actions to avoid. However, infinite situations in life are possible, making the list of moral transgressions the work of assumption. Imagine, for instance, is it a sin to be cowardly? One could argue that one's own survival takes priority over most situations. Our bodies come with adrenaline that enables us to fight or run away whichever is necessary to preserve our lives. After all, what good can one do dead? But this is the ancient, non-thinking part of our brains, not the part responsible for the complex decisions Antigone wrestles with. Should she let her brother's spirit wander aimlessly for eternity? Or should she perform a forbidden burial rite which will ensure his journey into the afterlife? She decides to humble herself, lessen the importance of her existence for what she can only guess is the greater good. In contrast, the antagonist in this story protects his self-importance. He only cares about his own power and others' loyalty to him he will listen to no one who differs in opinion. Again, the play has similarities between other famous heroes which were listed in psychiatrist Otto Rank's work The Myth of the Birth of the Hero. The hero is typically born of royal or supernatural parents. Antigone and her siblings are products of incest. She is the daughter of the famed Oedipus and Jocasta former king and queen of Thebes. Remember, the adopted Oedipus unknowingly kills his father, King Laius of Thebes, and marries his mother before taking the throne. Sophocles wrote about this story as well. Difficulties precede the hero's conception or the mother is a virgin. Antigone's mother slash grandmother isn't noted as having trouble conceiving. But the convoluted way in which she becomes impregnated by her own son, spurred on by the interference of magical beings, qualifies the nature of Antigone's birth as near impossible. The child loses or is taken away from her parents. Jocasta commits suicide when she learns the true identity of her son husband while Oedipus gouges his eyes out and becomes in exile. The hero reconciles with the father's representative or takes revenge on her father. In this story, Antigone's uncle Creon, brother to her mother, plays this fatherly role. Her journey into adulthood begins with an original thought, contrary to what she has been told or how she is commanded to behave. Thinking for herself, she and King Creon choose opposite sides of a battle. To summarize this play, I'll identify the aspects which follow Vladimir Propp's formula for Morphology of the Folktale as well. These aspects have formed stories for thousands of years, building tension and providing the positive outcomes we have come to expect from our heroic journeys. Only this time Sophocles has brought us a tragedy. We begin with stage one, Absentation. A member of the family leaves home. The absentation occurs prior to the beginning of the play when Antigone's brother Polynices attacks their brother Erecles army to army in order to gain control of the throne. Both die after facing each other on the field. In this battle of differing ideologies, Polynices is considered a traitor once their uncle Creon inherits the throne. As Oedipus's female offspring are passed over, Antigone and Ismene are expected to stay out of the politics, but Antigone refuses to place arbitrary allegiance on one brother over another. In Stage 2, Interdiction, the hero is told to avoid a person or a place. Etocles is buried with honors, but King Creon forbids burial rites for Polynices. Antigone gets word of this decree before its announcement and tells her sister Ismene her plan to go against the Order. As always, the story gets rolling around Stage 3, The Violation, where the hero ignores the warning. This leaves room for the villain to act against the hero's family. Antigone asks Ismene for help burying Polynices, but with the penalty of public stoning hanging over them, Ismene says... We are only women. We cannot fight with men, Antigone." But Antigone won't let gender roles get in her way. She is more interested in following the gods' laws than she is her uncles. Soldiers catch her performing the burial rites for her brother's body, which has been left for dogs and vultures to pick at on the battlefield. In Stage 4, Reconnaissance, the villain makes an effort to attain knowledge needed to fulfill their plot. Antigone's actions may have been witnessed, but Creon further dares Antigone's defiance. He wants her confession as well. In stage 5, Delivery, the villain succeeds in part of their plan. Antigone stands up to this challenge, saying, This death of mine is of no importance, but if I had left my brother lying in death unburied, I should have suffered. Now I do not. Though it seems like a stalemate, Sophocles further dramatizes the question for the audience. How far should the king's rule reach? In stage eight, villainy or lack, the villain harms someone. Though Antigone has rationally defended her actions, King Creon states, Who is the man here, she or I, if this crime goes unpunished? Creon's desire for complete control over his subjects outweighs his interest in justice, He not only wants to punish Antigone for her disobedience, but Ismene, too, for not exhibiting blind loyalty to him, keeping her sister's activities from him. In the category of lack, the hero lacks clarity from the gods. Is she right for putting divine law above all else? If she respected her uncle and his position of authority, she might apologize, grovel, and beg for her life but in stage 10 beginning counteraction where the hero hatches a plan, Antigone separates her actions from Ismene's, telling her sister, you shall not lessen my death by sharing it. She could be trying to save her sister or keep martyrdom for herself, but either way, she is not backing down. In Stage 12, first function of the donor, with the help of a magical agent or helper, the hero gets tested. In stories like Star Wars Episode Four, this would be Obi-Wan Kenobi, or in The Matrix, Morpheus. But Antigone's helper is less of a role model and more of a representative. Hamon, son of King Creon, draws attention to Antigone's integrity. As if incest hasn't played enough of a role in her life, the cousins are engaged to marry. Whether as a strategy or in earnest, Hamon at first praises his father's actions. In an early version of Bros Before Hoes, Creon responds, So you are right not to lose your head over this woman. Your pleasure in her would soon grow cold, Hamon, And then you'd have a hellcat in bed and elsewhere. Let her find her husband in hell. But Haman tells his father that the majority of his people are not on his side. Whispers around the kingdom reveal mass dissent, and Haman mourns. It is not reason never to yield to reason. In stage 14, Provision of a Magical Agent, this magical agent is reason. Haman further reminds his father that even as ruler of the land, he has someone else to answer to. You have no right to trample on God's right. Alas, Haman's words are brushed off as childish, and we come to stage 15 guidance, where the hero is led to an important object. Antigone is taken to her mountain prison to live out the rest of her days. This will be her hill to die on. In Stage 16, Struggle, the hero and villain fight. Antigone has no options available to her but to die in captivity or hope for some kind of rescue. She still does not know what the gods want of her, or if she has made the right decision. But with her death, she hopes Creon will be punished if she has been unjustly imprisoned for performing her moral duty. Even from her prison, she has one move left. In Stage 17, Branding, the hero is scarred. Rather than suffer in prison, Antigone hangs herself with her veil. Having the hero die is tragic for sure, but it's not the end of the story. In Stage 19, Liquidation of Lack, the initial lack has been removed. Antigone may be dead, but the audience doesn't know this. Instead, they learn that she has followed the mysterious will of the gods after all. The blind prophet Tiresias, who also plays an important role in Sophocles' play Oedipus the King, informs King Creon of the gods' displeasure in him. All his subjects are punished as well, as their prayers are ignored. Tiresias says, I tell you, Creon, you yourself have brought this new calamity upon us. Our hearths and altars are stained with the corruption of dogs and carrion birds that glut themselves on the corpse of Oedipus' son. He later adds, A good man yields when he knows his course is wrong, and repairs the evil. The only crime is pride. But Creon still won't listen. He even defies the gods, referring to Polynices when he says, If your birds... If the great eagles of God himself should carry him stinking bit by bit to heaven, I would not yield. However, after a discussion with his most trusted advisor, he calls for Antigone's release. Sophocles really punctuates the tragedy of Antigone's death by revealing it only after she is pardoned. This revelation leads to stage 30, punishment where the villain suffers the consequences of their actions. After finding Antigone dead, Haman attacks his father. Bumbling this attack, he falls on his sword and dies. Haman's mother, the queen, kills herself when she hears of her son's fate, leaving King Creon a widower with no heir to his greedily guarded throne. In reference to this tragedy, Creon's advisor concludes for the audience, There is no happiness when there is no wisdom. No wisdom but in submission to the gods. This story illustrates the importance of character. Antigone's captor tells King Creon she was not afraid, not even when we charged her with what she had done. This is the mark of a true hero, unflinching in her duty. In contrast, Ismene is shown with the weakness of the average person. Her guilt is an afterthought, her inaction fueled by self-preservation and not reason. But even Ismene shows strength King Creon does not, the ability to admit she was wrong. Defending her regret of not helping to bury her brother, she says to King Creon, grief teaches the steadiest minds to waver. Sophocles notes that as mere humans, we can't always divine the truth. But it's the human ability to reason, to weigh the importance of information, that's our true salvation. Antigone didn't have to die because reason eventually secured her release. Her gamble paid off for her eternal spirit, but in the end it caused the suffering of the whole kingdom. It's interesting that the moral of the story is not to bend from one's moral duty, but one should and must bend to admit one's faults. How can the average person operate with this information when the story itself acknowledges the uncertainty of right and wrong? When is one nobly stalwart when being stubborn in the face of death could also be the result of arrogance? Polynices died for a cause and unknowingly faced eternal punishment for his ideology. Ismene tried to secure and Antigone accomplished martyrdom, but at the suffering of many. Is the message then that holding strong beliefs is the problem? I strongly suggest reading Sophocles' work for his great dialogue and philosophical content. There are also movie versions available for consumption, but why not go straight to the source? Though it's been compromised a bit in its translation into English, the feisty spirit of this author stands as testament to his work's longevity. You can comment on this episode or suggest new content on my Facebook page, Fiction Briefly. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on whichever platform you listen on. Once again, I thank Kestrel and Mexican Spy Company for all music and sound production for this show. This has been Fiction Briefly, giving you a glimpse into the mind of an artist. Thank you for listening.